So this next letter that we're reading is a letter to the church at Thyatira, which was not a mega church. It was a smaller church. Thyatira itself was the smallest of the seven churches, a smaller city, and it was out there a ways. It was outside of the belt of big cities and big churches, uh, but they still had a lot of the characteristics of what Rome was spreading throughout the region, and so they were still highly influenced by what was going on there. It was 40 miles southeast of Pergamos. It was a manufacturing city. It was a military town, and it was a commercial center. Remember, Paul ran into a woman named Lydia in Philippi when he was looking to find uh, Jews there in Philippi, his first trip. There weren't any, but there were people that would go down to the river and pray. And he ran into a woman named Lydia that was a seller of purple from Thyatira. And Thyatira was known for its fabrics, its materials, its dyes, for its silver, for its trinkets, jewelry. So Thyatira had many different trades uh, that were familiar to the cities around it, and they were produced there. They also had unions. I know, right? Unions? They were called guilds, but basically they were unions. And so each trade had its own union. And you know how good unions are. They were the same back then. Uh, They had their own God. They had their own way of worship. They had different ways of preparing foods and, uh, and offering it to their gods. So it was a little unusual. But that's what they did in that city. They worshipped um, in a Greek style there. Uh, they, it wasn't a Jewish type worship. It was a, a Greek style of worship. Zeus being the leader of the Uh, worship. And so uh, Thyatira had its own way of worship also with their own god. They had a city god. His name was Tyrimos. He was a son of Zeus. Uh, No one's seen Zeus. No one knows who his children are. But he was one of them. And they worshipped him and offered sacrifices to him. And so here, if you belong to a union, and the union does things that you don't agree with, still the same thing today. They support things that we as believers, we as Christians may not agree with, but they still do it anyway. They take the money that is funneled into the union, and then they promote and support things that are anti-Christian. 
Well, that's what was going on back then also. But for a person that was part of that trade, they needed to be connected with the guild to be able to sell their wares, to be able to be in. Otherwise, they're ostracized. They wouldn't be part of that crowd that was being able to market their wares. And so these Christians were participating in that. Well, what happens when there is food offered to idols, their, their local idol or the city idol, and they had to participate in that? It's a compromise now. They had to decide whether or not they were going to stand firm in their faith or whether they were you know, going to, well, I'll just eat it and uh, be okay with it. It's not going to kill me. But it was hurting them spiritually. Today's message is titled Corruption in the Church. And we continue our study through the book of Revelation. In chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 18, where we read, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know the works, your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. And so here is Jesus writing to the church at Thyatira. He's telling them about them. He says, I know about you. I know what's going on. The first thing he does is identify who he is. He says, I'm the son of God. He doesn't use that term anywhere else in the book of Revelation. That's the only place in the whole book of Revelation that he says, I'm the son of God. He calls himself the son of man in a couple of the other letters. But here he's saying, no, this is who I am. I am the son of God. Interesting, because he's writing to Thyatira about this. This is the smallest church receiving the longest letter. And so he's calling them out, saying, I'm the son of God. Why? Because that city god that we talked about, his name is, I was having, I had a practice saying this name because I, I really couldn't get it down. But Tyremon, Tyremonos. And uh, see, so we'll just call him Ty. So here's Ty, and he was the son of Zeus, the god, the head god, and here's his son, right? So Jesus is saying, no, I am the son of God. And the image that he gave, the one with the flaming eyes, the burning eyes and the brass feet, that was something that Daniel also wrote about. That was part of the vision that Daniel had. And he identified Jesus, the Messiah, the same exact way. But here, it's actually the image of this false god. Because he was seen, the drawings that they have of him, the statues that they made, had fiery eyes and brass feet. And so when Jesus is calling them out, they're probably, you know, the, the non Christians are probably, oh, 
That's not, he's not the one. This Tyremenos, whatever his name is, Ty. It's him. It's not this Jesus that is the son of God. He wanted to make it known. Fire in the eyes meant I'm burning through the lies of your life. I'm burning through the falseness of your life. Once the fire comes, the only thing that's going to be left is what's right, what's true, what's good, what's pure. Brass at that time was the hardest metal that they had. And that's what they would use to trot out the sin. Brass was always a sign of judgment. And so here he's saying, I'm going to burn out the sin. I'm going to smash it. And the only thing that's going to be left is the truth. And so we have to realize that for our own lives. That regardless of what TV tells us, regardless of what other religious systems tell us, there's one truth, and there's only one truth. There's no other truth than the Word of God. There are things that appear to be true. There are things that make us think it's true. Oh, I have this much evidence for this. Well, people take some of the truth and they apply it to their lives. Their, you know, I was reading, uh, I was actually, I wasn't reading, okay, I lied. Uh, I was watching a video, okay, I was reading the subtitles. And in this video, this gentleman explained the Koran and the different versions of the Koran. You, you know how they say there's one Koran and it's the word of God and it's the only thing that's accurate and it has stayed with us perfectly. This is what they say about the Koran. The, the Muslims say the Koran is perfect. It's never changed. There are 63 versions of the Koran. Between those 63 versions, there's 93 variations and differences that contradict each other. When this one gentleman took the Koran, and you know, I don't know if you knew this, but like 20% of the Koran is unreadable because no one knows how to read it. Even Islamic you know, experts. They don't know how to read it. They say this isn't a language that's understandable. So an apologist, uh, an Arab expert, went and took the, the, that letter, the, the Koran, the, the, one, the pieces of it that were unintelligible, and took it and researched it, went back to the original language. You see, the original language was 17 alphabetic characters in the Arab language before they bumped it up to 28 and then wrote the, rewrote the Quran in 28 characters and added the vowels and all of that in. And so he took it and went back to the 17 original and then started comparing all of it so that he could see what uh, it actually says. And he found what it actually says. It, it was clear what it was. It was Christian hymns and psalms. 
20% of the Quran speaks about Jesus and its hymns and psalms. And this is all verifiable. You can find it yourself on the internet along with everything else that the internet is known for. And uh, it, it actually is valid though and, and you can uh, find this. So it, it was very interesting when I found it because I trust the Bible. I know that it's the word of God. Not because someone told me, not because I believe it is so it has to be, I applied the teachings in the Bible to my own life, and they work. Everything Jesus said that we should apply to our lives works. Now, there are other religions that if you apply some of what they say, they work. Don't step in front of moving cars. It's a healthy thing, and, and it works. Don't do it, and you'll probably live longer. Uh, but, you know, and I'm not saying that's a religious thing, but I'm saying there are just common sense things that we can read and learn about. But when it comes to the Bible, it goes beyond common sense. It comes down to the spiritual. If we're not looking at things from a spiritual perspective and only applying things in an intellectual and, and, and a scientific way, we're not going to get the value out of the Bible. It, it, the word of God is foolishness to those that perish, but to us it is the power of God. It, it's not applying it to our minds, it's applying it to our hearts, it's applying it to our lives. And that's where the power is. These people got some of it right. The church at Thyatira was known for their good deeds. They loved serving and working. And Jesus said, the last was more than the first. Meaning that when you started doing these services, you were good, but now you're doing it even more. You're better. You're applying these things to your life and it's better and you're doing it better than you did even at the beginning. That's how all of our lives should be. When we become believers, we should learn about Jesus and start applying his truths to our lives. But then we should become better at applying them. We should become more loving. We should become more patient. Oh, what? How's that working? In, the, in our world today, it's hard to be patient because the world tells you not to be patient. And so we have a struggle with the flesh and the spirit. But when we apply spiritual things to our lives, we're told that we can be successful because we have the Holy Spirit who enables us to be successful. So these were the churches. They were, they were not focused on their works. They were doing what they knew was right. The church was doing that. Uh, but there are a lot of churches out there that do the same thing. They do works, but they don't have the attributes of love and faith and patience. Those are attrib attributes that a Christian should develop in their life because they're growing in their faith. I know 
Christians that when they were first saved, they were just on fire for Christ. Out there sharing the gospel with everyone. I got saved by someone like that. She came to my house and shared the gospel. And I heard it and I was like, are you kidding? I came up with every argument I could. But she just exuded the love of Christ. She's not walking with the Lord anymore. She hasn't been for decades now. But that day when she came to my home, I saw Jesus through her. Uh, I don't know how that works. I don't know how she could just walk away. I don't believe you can walk away from the love of God when he has poured it into you. When you have received his son, I don't believe you can walk away. But there were some that Paul said that were even using the gospel and teaching the gospel to try to bring trouble to Paul's lives. There were them. And Paul said, I don't care. As long as the gospel's getting out, I don't care who's putting it out. As long as it's the truth, as long as the gospel's getting out there, then let it happen. It's okay. Today, we have people that have part of the gospel being out, being preached, but they also include arsenic with it. They have a little bit of garbage in with their preaching. And that's what's happening in the church of Thyatira. Jesus is calling them out. So a well-rounded church demonstrates these attributes while it performs the works. It's just you see the attributes of God through the work that they're doing. They're not doing it for the work's sake. They're doing it for love's sake, for their relationship uh, with Jesus. And the church doesn't develop these, these, these characteristics on their own. The church is you. The church isn't me. Okay, I, I, I'm just up here as the representative, but I'm not the church. I'm the under-shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd, and I'm just here teaching what Jesus gives me to teach here in this word. And so the church is you. And your character is what turns into the character of the church. So when people see you, they get an idea of what Calvary Chapel Fountain Hills is like. If this is your home church, I'm saying. That they get an idea, oh, you go to Calvary Chapel Fountain Hills, they can tell what we teach here, what we believe here, by how you live, by how you act. And they can get an idea of who Jesus is through that. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church there in Thyatira, you're doing it. You were the guys that were doing more now than you did at the beginning. Your works, your love, service, faith, and patience. I see it all. Wouldn't that be great to hear Jesus say that? I see that in you. I, I, I think that would be great. It, I, you know, I would love to get a letter from Jesus saying that. He didn't stop there, though. See, the bad news starts in verse 20 
when Jesus then says, nevertheless, meaning but, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Nevertheless, I have, it wasn't, I have one thing against you like in the church of Ephesus when he said you left your first love. Remember? This is, he's saying, I have a few things against you. And we look at the things he has that you allow that woman Jezebel. Now, this is not someone named Jezebel, but he's using this more as a metaphor, an example of what the person was like. See, uh, Jezebel was Ahab's wife, King King Ahab, and he was evil, she was evil. You know, you don't go, how many of you have children named Jezebel? All right. See, and, um, you know, uh, you may call them Jezebel if they're really bad, but we don't call it because that's not a name that has a lot of character with it that you want your child to have. And so I don't think it was a person called Jezebel. I think it was the nature of Jezebel that he was addressing. And, and so Jesus is calling that out. This is who this woman was in the church. Notice, she calls herself a prophetess. She wasn't a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess. Anyone can call themselves a prophet. Anyone can call themselves an apostle. Anyone can say those things about themselves. If you are a prophetess or an apostle, you probably won't have to go around advertising it. You just have to be it. I'm a pastor. I don't go around advertising that I'm a pastor. When people meet me out, I, I, Rick Ponzo, that's who I am. I'm a person. When they find out I'm a pastor, usually there's a face that they make. Oh, you're a pastor. And, and so I, that's, that's not the reason why I don't tell them. Some of them I want them to know. I'm a pastor, you know. And then I realize, oh, that's not very pastoral. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, here is a woman that trying to pawn herself off as super spiritual. I'm a prophetess. I have this gift. It appears really that she raised herself up, that she gave herself this title of being a prophetess. She probably included more truth than lies in her prophesying, in her teaching. She probably, because she knew that you had to fit in. You know, many of you have been in Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches, and you've heard the, the gospel taught, you've heard the, the books of the Bible taught. So when you hear it, you know, you recognize this is the truth. This is the way that I recognize this being the truth. I've heard it before, taught this way. Maybe there's a little 
different perspective, point of view while it's being taught. But when it comes from the word of God, the foundation is there. And we, we know we're pretty solid with the foundation. But there's always a, a little way, you know, I remember, I forget the guy's name, um, that uh, talked about women giving birth. And women were originally meant to give birth out of their side. And Benny Hinn. And, um, you know, I, I don't like calling people by name, but Benny Hinn. Um, he, he said that women were originally meant to give birth out of their side. And it's like, what are you talking? Now, he, uh, he recanted that. He said, no, uh, I, you know, maybe I misunderstood and I, I wasn't that clear on that. Uh, you know, his son, uh, no, his nephew, Costi Hinn, really good guy. I, I read his stuff and I've heard him teach. Really solid guy. He called out his uncle and said, the guy's way out there. He, he's not living in reality. I think it's important for us to recognize those not living in reality and those speaking the truth. And that's what Jesus is calling out here. He's saying, this is not the truth. What this woman is doing is not true. And she was leading people astray. Woman told him it was okay to have sexual relations outside of marriage and to eat food offered to idols. The two things that were told to the Gentiles that they should not do. Remember when Paul went to the apostles, Paul and Barnabas went to the apostles and they asked them, you know, we, we have these Jews that were saying they had to be circumcised. And Paul went and they had this group together and James was the one that came up with it actually and he said you know what let's just tell them that they shouldn't be involved in sexual immorality and they shouldn't eat food offered to idols and let's just um, stick with that they don't have to be circumcised so here we see those very things being addressed that that's what she was bringing into the church are the two things that the apostles said, no, you shouldn't be doing. You're Gentiles, that's fine. You don't have to be circumcised, but you shouldn't be doing this. And uh, we see it happening. So just as they were doing their great works, they were allowing the sin into the church. Verse 21, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So Jesus is saying, I gave her time. He wasn't Looking at his wife, well, you got another hour or two. I want to see some repentance. That wasn't what he was giving her time with. He gives time like he gives all of us time. When you have sin in your life, walking as a Christian, you're going to know it because the Holy Spirit's going to convict you you're going to sense that this is not right. I can't be living this way. It's not a feeling. It's the knowledge of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, we have to repent. We're being called to turn it around, to go the opposite direction. 
there's not a person in here who hasn't sinned. All of us have. And all of us still struggle with sin in one way or another. There are things that lead us to a place where we are enticed to sin. The enticement of sin is not the problem. It's giving into it. That's the problem. It's allowing it to have control in your life. That's the problem with sin. It's not being tempted is not the problem. All of us are tempted. It's just if you have a TV, you've been tempted. If you have a car radio, you've been tempted. If you drive on the freeway, you've been tempted. Okay? And, and so it's what we do with the temptation that's important. So we know that sexual immorality is not okay. We know it because we heard it here, but we know it because we heard it here. We know in our hearts it's not okay. We didn't have to be told that. True? We, we didn't have to. That, that, that wasn't something like, what? Sexual immorality is not okay? I didn't know. No, we knew. And he gave her time to repent, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her. This is Jesus saying what's going to happen. The result of her not repenting, I'm going to cast her and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Not the great tribulation, but into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds, unless they turn away from this sexual immorality. I will kill her with and her children with death. It, this isn't a spiritual killing. This is death. Physical death. And all the churches she know uh, that shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. So here, Jesus is calling her out and saying, not only her, but anyone who's with her. Anyone who gets involved with her. There are lots of people that are involved in things that they should not be involved in. And when God convicts you, you need to stop and repent. It's hard when you don't because what happens is you grow cold to it. Kind of like Pharaoh when God kept sending him messages saying, Hey, you know, let my people go. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll let them go. No problem. No, I decided not to. And he changed, and God hardened his heart. God didn't harden his heart first. God gave him an opportunity to decide to do what was right. And then, because he decided not to, he hardened his heart. That happens to us too. If we allow sin in our lives and we don't respond to the Holy Spirit telling us not to do it and we continue to do it, we grow cold to the Holy Spirit telling us 
that we shouldn't be doing. We, we just grow cold. We, we ignore it. It's kind of like when my daughter asks me for money and I say, uh, you know what, sweetie? You know, there's no more. The well's dry. You know, uh, there's just no more. Now she makes more money than me. Um, but, uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, it, it was like, you know, this is it. But she continued to come to the well looking for money and uh, eventually she learned it just was, it wasn't going to happen. Now, I'm kidding. My daughter is wonderful and she's very productive and I'm very proud of her. And uh, I'm hoping that she's my retirement plan. So, um, so this woman Jezebel is continuing her. So here it's sexual sin, right? So can you imagine what we're talking about here? I'm thinking it was venereal disease that was being propagated by this woman into the men that she was with. And she was giving them venereal diseases. So it was not only affecting her, but everyone that was with her. And so she was sick, but she was making all of them die. And uh, it it was not a a good thing, obviously. The church at Thyatira set a bad example to the other churches because they allowed this to go on. They weren't eliminating this and removing it from the church. And if you have someone in the church that is teaching something contrary to the word of God and then sharing it with others, oh, this is what I think. I don't agree exactly with what the pastor is saying. Hey, you don't have to agree with me, please. Don't think that I force everyone in here to agree with what I say. But if you don't agree, don't try to build a following. That's between you and God. If you don't agree, come to me and say, you know what, I don't agree with you on that. We'll discuss it. We'll pull out the Bible and we'll look and say, all right, here's what the scriptures say. Tell me why you don't agree. And if you don't, if you come to the fact, well, I just don't believe that. Okay, I know many people that don't believe what I believe. The Bible teaches. I I know many people that don't. That's okay. Uh, Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and died for our sins, that he rose again to show us that he had power over life? And Do you believe all that? Yes. Okay. Then we're okay there. It doesn't matter if you believe in a rapture of the church, if you believe in the great tribulation, if you believe in all the prophecy that I talk about and that I teach. It doesn't matter if you believe those things. But maybe you'd be more comfortable in a church that taught what you believe instead of being here because I'm going to talk about those things. I'm going to talk about the rapture because I believe that's the next event that is on the, it's, it's on the agenda. Here's what's going to happen. Bam. And it's going to happen. But if I'm wrong, well, we're all prepared for it. And that's the most important thing. We're supposed to be watching for the day of his return, no matter when it happens. And if it happens in 20 years, okay, I don't think it's going to be that long because I watch the news. (laughs) And when I look at the news, it's like, why didn't you come yesterday, Jesus? Why? why? We're we're that close. And, And so 
you know, I, I make light of it, I joke about it, but it's real, it's true. It's exciting that we read the word of God and we're seeing what we're seeing in the world today. We're seeing it take place right before our very eyes. Isn't it exciting? Okay, I can be excited more than you. I'm more excited than you are. Now, to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And I also have received from my father, and I will give to him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he says to the rest of Thyatira, Uh, as many as do not have this doctrine, the doctrine of Jezebel, it was known as the depth of Satan. That was what they were calling it. He said, what you call it, you call it the depths of Satan. And so this is probably something that comes from Gnosticism. And probably steeped out of Gnosticism was the idea that there are spiritual depths that go beyond scripture that go beyond the gospel there are spiritual things that you peons don't know but because i'm gnostic i know it and i now have this certain knowledge that's going to be better by the way i'm not not someone's going to take this video clip and cut this out and say see that pastor just said he's gnostic all calvary chapel is evil Uh, so you know Uh, It's amazing what they can do with AI, isn't it? So uh, here he's saying, you know what? Hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the true doctrine until I come. Don't get caught up in the lies. Don't get caught up in Jezebel. And here's the thing. There are churches everywhere. No matter where you go, we have visitors here that have traveled and now are here with us today just visiting. And they're going to go back to where they're... There are good churches and there are bad churches. There are churches that teach the Word of God and there are churches that make you feel good when you leave. You know, and and it, it's all based on the size of the church. The bigger the church, the better it is, right? It must be. That's the problem that they were even having back then. That the organized religion, especially Judaism, uh, they were all caught up in their religion. And today it's the same way with different denominations that are so vast that it's about their doctrine. And We don't believe in doctrine. We believe in a God who has a relationship with us through his son. We're not, our relationship is not based on doctrine. It's not based on following rules. An outsider would say that. 
an outsider would say Christianity is based on rules, the Ten Commandments, even the gospel. Even Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, right? And so everyone would think, oh, it's based on rules. Oh, there are really only two rules, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hang on, can we just make it one, love God? Because the whole neighbor thing is just not flying for me. (laughs) Who's my neighbor? You know, there are arguments about that. Well, what does it really mean by loving your neighbor? You know, uh, we have two. He says all of the law and the prophets fall under those two. And we still have a problem with that. You know, because people want to make it about what they believe, not what the Bible teaches. So our calling is to do the work of God, to do his work and to keep doing it until he comes. That's what he said. Then he's going to give us the morning star. The morning star. That's from um, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16. He is the bright and morning star. He's going to give us him. More of him. And that's where our salvation comes from. From him, from the bright and morning star. The common thread here so far is that even though a church can be doing good things, it can still be in sin. There can be sin inside the church, even though the church is doing works. We have to be sure that we don't become a church doing works. But the works are a sign of what we believe. We have to separate ourselves like the, the Jezebel, this one that was representing Satan. We have to separate ourselves from that. And that means we have to separate ourselves from all the things that appear that way. The occult, witchcraft, All of those things, horoscopes, just seem so innocent, right? I'm just reading my horoscope. I know it's not real. I know it's not true. But then why read it? Do you want to read false stuff? Why? Why put something in front of us that isn't real? Because I believe there's power in those things. I really do. I believe there's power in the horoscope. Not godly power, ungodly power. I believe the occult, I believe Ouija boards, I believe all of that is under the power of Satan. And so we have to separate ourselves just like he was calling out Jezebel. We need to separate ourselves from those things because here is where the power is. This is, has all the power we need. It's all the power we should have. If we want to add other power from other things, you know, I really like the writings of Confucius because he has some really good things that he wrote that, you know, really make sense to me. And so they're confusing. That's why his name's Confucius. 
So they're confusing to me, but you know what? I know where I can go. I can read the Psalms. I can read Proverbs. And I can get an understanding of the things that God wants to speak to me about. The same for you. And we can read the same scriptures and you can get something else out of it than I do, but it it points back to God. Because God may want to speak to you differently than he wants to speak to me about something. And so as we look to the scriptures, as we look to the truth, that helps us develop our walk. The church is corrupt right now. Every church is. There's corruption in every church. I'm not going to say there's any church that's perfect out there. You know why? Because there are corrupt people that come into the church. They want to corrupt the church. You know, if, if you're not satisfied in a church, if you think, you know, I, this just isn't the church, it isn't the right church, there are hypocrites in the church, yes, go somewhere else that you find the perfect church, go there, and you just corrupted it. That's really the problem, is that we're we're all sinners in need of a Savior. There will only be one pure, uncorrupt church, and that's the church when Jesus returns and he establishes it for the whole world. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And we, we are invited to be part of that. I don't know how that's going to look. You know, I would like a place like Sedona, if it was a little cooler. You know, but I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know which cities we're going to have. I don't know how, but it was promised to us. We're told that that's what we're going to have as an opportunity in the future. We're, we're, we're going to be part of his kingdom, ruling cities and stuff. Isn't that cool? You know, so, okay, I get Hawaii. Paul warned in 2 Timothy um, uh, 4, 3, that a time will come when people will have itching ears and they'll raise up themselves pastors that will teach them what they want to hear rather than the truth. That's what Jesus is calling out here. The church at Thyatira is alive and well in the United States today. And I pray that we don't ever become the church of Thyatira. Amen? Amen.